Some hymns are too familiar. The words will just uh, wash over us. But it's wonderful. It's right. It's, it's good. We, we must engage with the words that we are singing. That last stanza there is uh, wonderful. All that we, discerning its most holy learning, Lord, may love and fear thee evermore be near thee. Well, an opportunity now for me and for you to uh, discern the learning of this uh, wonderful, wonderful word. We're in Luke chapter 3, and last time we thought about verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3, and uh, John the Baptist is being introduced to us. We looked at the history, uh, it's Pontius Pilate, it's uh, all the political situation, the religious situation, but uh, John comes into the midst of a dark situation uh, with wonderful wonderful news, that sins can be forgiven. Uh, the New King James translates it, the remission of sins. Um, remission, we understand about remission. If we have had cancer or friends who have a, a cancer, then it's good news when they go into remission. But of course, there's always the possibility that uh, that remission would end and it does return. But this word forgiveness in the Bible is a very, very full one. And it's possible for you and for me to have that happy day when we come to see that Jesus forgives our sins, past, present, future, and they never will return. As far as the east is from the west, they're removed from us. They're buried in the deepest sea. And God chooses to forget and to forgive. Forgiveness of sins. And John the Baptist goes around preaching this wonderful, wonderful news in the region around the Jordan. And he is baptizing people on profession of faith. They are baptized in the river Jordan. Now, baptism for the, uh, the Jews was reserved for proselytes, Gentiles, who converted to Judaism will go through a, a water baptism to symbolize the cleansing of their filth. But as far as the Jews were concerned, uh, they didn't need that. But here's something very radical from John the Baptist. Yes, yes, you the children of Abraham, you need to, to be baptized. It's a picture of the spiritual reality. Washing away of sins. Well, we thought about that last time. Now we're coming on to verses 4 through to 7, where Luke is inspired to quote from the prophet Isaiah and chapter 40. I've got, I think it's just two points here uh, this morning. The certainty of God's word and the power of God's word. The certainty of God's word and the power of God's word. So firstly then, that God's word is absolutely certain. As, verse 4, it is written, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The certainty of God's word. 
Now, John the Baptist only, of course, had the Old Testament Scriptures from Genesis through to Malachi. We're looking at Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, when I'm preaching on a Sunday evening. The Old Testament Scriptures, Genesis through to Malachi. From Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 to the end of Malachi chapter 4, the whole of the Old Testament Scriptures are all about the Lord Jesus Christ, His person and His work. The first prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And the final prophecy comes out in Malachi chapter 3 and into Malachi chapter 4. The Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ and it is an absolutely certain word. It speaks about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And that's been finished and done. We're looking at history there. But it also speaks, in fact it speaks even more about an event yet to happen. Uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But thinking about his first coming. The certainty, the foundation, the promises. We stand on a rock uh, the Bible is no fanciful fairy tale. It has been fulfilled. It has been written and it has been done. The first coming of Jesus Christ and all the prophecies, all the types, all the shadows, all the promises have been fulfilled. And the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, just describe the actual historical fulfillment of those Old Testament prophetic messages about the Messiah, as he's known in the Hebrew language. Or the Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And he's coming into the world, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Christ is his title, Jesus is his given name. But it can truly be said of Jesus Christ that his biography was written and completed over 400 years before his birth. It has been written. God said it would happen and it did happen. 400 years before his birth, his biography had been completed and it's all there in the Old Testament. Now in my latter years I've enjoyed reading history and studying historical figures. And one of my heroes of history, being uh, British, is Winston Churchill. And uh, he was born in 1875 and he uh, lived until 1965. I remember uh, the news broadcast in black and white on the BBC in 1965, announcing the death of Winston Churchill. I would have been, just working it out, eight years old. But I've read biographies of Winston Churchill, and one I read recently was by uh, Roy Jenkins. It was published in 2001, 36 years after his death. Roy Jenkins researched the life of Winston Churchill, and wrote this biography about his life 36 years after the events. 
but the biography of Jesus Christ was completed in great detail. Now, astonishing detail. The certainty of God's word is my first point. 400 years before his birth. The first promise then, going back to Genesis 3 and verse 15. It tells about his person and his work. Right at the point of the fall. Right at the origin of sin. In the Garden of Eden, when man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, God gives the first promise that he's going to put right what has gone wrong. He talks about the seed of the woman who will come and crush Satan's head. It's a very cryptic prophecy. But in the light of history, we know exactly what is being said there. Who is Jesus? He's the seed of the woman. What has he done? He has crushed Satan's head. And throughout the Old Testament, then the prophecies begin to multiply and multiply. And in the Old Testament, concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ, there are over 300 detailed statements. And they are detailed. They speak about the one who is to come, who is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But 400 years before his birth, it had been completed. The first prophecy, 4,000 years before his birth. But the detail that's there, the certainty of God's word. We can stand on the word of God. His promises never, ever fail. We are told in the Old Testament about his lineage. We're told about his birth dates. From the book of Daniel, you can begin to work out the period where he would be born and the 77s, 77, 770s that remain for the people of God. And the wise men reading that in uh, Persia or Babylon would have looked at that and thought and mused and the star appears and begins to guide them because the date is around about right. The very birthplace is recorded the political situation around the birth of Jesus Christ is recorded. The response to his birth, the slaughter of the innocents is there in the Old Testament. The flight into Egypt, his return to Nazareth. The ministry of the forerunner, John the Baptist, is recorded in Isaiah chapter 40. The ministry of Jesus Christ, the things that he would do, the miracles he would perform. His betrayal is prophesied in the Old Testament. The price that would be paid is prophesied. The 30 pieces of silver, not 29, not 31. 30 was prophesied, 30 Judas was given. Uh, his denial is prophesied. His desertion, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. His trial is prophesied. His death and the type of death, Jesus, Jesus, oh, strong, but oh, so kind. Jesus, crucifixion, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written before crucifixion was ever thought of in the evil machinations of the mind of mankind. But there it is, Psalm 22, a thousand years before the actual event. The gambling for his clothes is prophesied. The rich man's tomb is there in the Old Testament. The resurrection is there in the Old Testament. The ascension is there. We've just passed Ascension Day last Thursday. Did you realize that? 
we celebrated the, not only the resurrection, but the ascension of Jesus Christ back into glory. And there he sits now at the right hand of the majesty on high. All these things prophesied, hundreds of them, in the Old Testament. I've read and I've heard from cynics who say, well, all that Jesus Christ had to do, he was well taught in the Old Testament scriptures, he just, uh, well, he moved to Nazareth and he, uh, he, he did the things that were, were prophesied. He knew the prophecies and so he lived his life in alignment with those prophecies. Well, that really will not hold any water at all. Can you arrange your own birth? Now, I was born in Colne, Lancashire, near the famous footballing town of, of Burnley. I, I didn't arrange that. There's nothing I could have done. Uh, about that, my birthplace, my, my family line. We can research our family history with hindsight, but I, I can't arrange my family line. Uh, the flight into Egypt uh, and, and the, the slaughter of the innocents, he, he couldn't have arranged these things. His betrayal, uh, the price that was paid, the desertion, uh, the tomb. Someone has actually calculated that the chances of just... Eight of the key prophecies being fulfilled in the life of any man just by chance uh, was one in ten to the 17. Now, the mind boggles at numbers like that. And if you want it in real numbers, it's one in a hundred million, million, million. It is the, are the odds of that happening? What, was, it a, was it just mere chance that Jesus uh, fulfilled all these prophecies? Certainly not. Certainly not. We have the word of God. Lord, thy word abideth. It is written. So here's my first point. Just as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and here comes John uh, the Baptist. It is written. Now, my friends, I challenge you this morning. I challenge my own heart as well. Here we have the word of God. What do we think about it? Do we cherish it? Is it something very, very wonderful? Is it something which we can trust our whole lives with? Is it something I build my life on day by day? What is it that is your guide for life? In this brief life that we live here, in this very uncertain world, what, what is going to happen uh, in Ukraine and, and Moldova and what the things that are happening in other parts of the world and, and climate change and uh, what is going to, to happen and the, 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 the apocalyptic things that we scientists tell us about and what about the asteroids that are hurtling around uh, and coming near Earth? What, what, what is our future? It seems so uncertain. But my friends, not for the Christian because we build our lives on this book that tells us its central character is the triune God, particularly focusing on the second person of the one triune God, because it's him, it is Jesus, the second person of the one triune God, who deals with our problem of sin and brings us to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this book is so very Wonderful, at the entrance of your word comes light, light to my mind and my understanding. 
It is written. Now, I heard someone once give this little trilogy of thoughts. God has said it. I believe it. That settles it. All right? Can you live your life like that? God has said it. Where? In his word. I believe it. Do you believe it? That settles it. And then thinking again, somebody put it this way. Actually, we don't need the middle one. We really don't need the middle one. God has said it. That settles it. Whether I believe it or not is immaterial. What God has said will come to pass. So for us here and now, my friends, read it. Read it. Understand it. Trust it. Build your life on this unchanging reality. Inner. See, life is so brief. Just thinking again, I don't know if I've mentioned it, it was my birthday not too long ago. I turned 65. I think back to things I used to be able to do. Life is brief. I was um, looking on social media yesterday and on Instagram and uh, I was thinking, wow, how, how do they do that? There's one of our students and... Uh, her brothers are down. I looked on Instagram and in the morning, with her th two brothers, she's on the top of Penavan. I thought, wow, I'd like to climb Penavan. I have not, not done that yet. And I keep thinking, on a good day, I'll do that. In the afternoon, I looked again and she's with her two brothers at Rest Bay. I thought, wow, you know, going to Penavan's enough for me. I want to rest for the rest of the weekend after that. But now she's in Rest Bay. I thought, well, fair play, they're, they're young. I looked this morning, and in the evening they'd been to a Bible study, then off to see Top Gun at the cinema. How do they do that? How it, I'm far too, I mean, really. But they're young. They're young. They have energy, enthusiasm. I remember. Do you remember that? You, you were of my age and, and beyond the things you used to be able to do. But life is brief. And life is very uncertain. Do we have a, a, a tomorrow? What are we building our life upon? God has said it. That settles it. Trust it. Build your life on this word. His unfailing word. In all situations and circumstances, every promise of God remains an absolute reality. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. And even in difficult circumstances... I was talking to a couple just yesterday, and uh, the man's not yet a, a believer. Lots of, of difficulties in, in his life. And I, I wasn't able to say, if you come to know Jesus as your Savior, all your problems will be gone. That would be a lie. But you know, to know him with you in the problems is so very, very wonderful. He's there with you, and that's the difference not fighting situations on your own, but to know there's an anchor, there's a rock that you're building on, there's somebody standing with you in the storms of life. That's what I commend Jesus to you for. Not that he'll solve all your earthly problems, but he'll be with you in them. And he's going to take you to a place where there will be no more problems. We'll think about that in the, the not, in not too, actually, the time's going on, not, not too long. You know, for the believer, we can say, because here's a lovely promise, all situations 
Romans 8, verse 28, you know it very well. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So there's the first point I wanted to make this morning, the certainty of God's word. And now, briefly in conclusion, the power of God's word. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Listen now, the power of God's word. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. The power of the Word of God. All possible obstacles. There are no barricades we can put up against the Spirit of God and the power of the Gospel. All obstacles to Jesus Christ will be Removed. A highway is constructed. It is straight and all obstacles have gone. Now, if you travel around um, Britain, particularly the traditional English country lane, you might wonder why did they build this road with so many winds and twists and turns. You seem to go around interminable. What is the point of all these turns? Well, there would be the, the early settlers, and they're, they're building uh, a road, and somebody say, you're not building it through my land, so you've got to go around this. And then there are obstacles. Well, here's a valley, we've got to go around it. Here's a mountain, we've got to go around uh, that. But uh, there are certain roads in Britain that were constructed after the Roman invasion. And the Romans arrived, and they wanted a fast highway for their armies. No arguments. It's going this way. Very, very straight. And the highway that's constructed from glory to this planet is very, very straight. The king is coming. Think of the road that was built to go from here to Swansea. It used to be quite a difficult road. And then they built the M4. And then they completed the M4. And I remember building that huge, no, I didn't do it personally, but it being built, that huge bridge, uh, replacing the bridge, well, not replacing it, but alongside the Britannia Bridge, going over the estuary there. And then in front was a, a big hill, what are you going to do? Are we going to go around the hill? They didn't do that. They blasted a passage through the mountain and all the rock was removed and the M4 passes over the valley and it goes through the mountain and continues on its way towards Swansea. Channel cut through the hillside, blasted away by dynamite. Now, God's intention is to invade the hearts of children here this morning. Men, women, whatever age you might be, uh, God would have your heart. What is the hardest substance known to man? Blasting away the rocks of granite there outside Swansea for the M4. Well, the hardest substance known to man really is the human 
how hard we can be, how calloused against God. Your, your heart, what did God have to do to build a highway from glory into your heart? What, what had to, to happen? Well, it, it took the gospel and any obstacle is going to be removed. I think of myself at the age of 19. No, no intention of, of, of God uh, that seeking just the answers in science and Big Bang and evolution uh, but God had other plans. There's no argument I could throw up. What about evolution? Uh, what about suffering? Uh, what, what, about, what about the reliability of all these questions? And somebody said to me, listen, put those to one side. Settle the matter of Jesus Christ. Who is he? And why did he come into the world? And my, my heart was invaded. I thought, well, maybe it could, be, it could be true. There's a possibility. If it is true, it's the most important thing there could ever, ever be. So as I went into a church service in Brisbane, Australia in 1976, I prayed a prayer, a very weak prayer. God, if you're there, have you prayed like that? Sincerely, I was, I was sincere. God, if you are there, it is important. I, I need to know. You know, every obstacle was removed. Every obstacle was removed. Preaching sound of the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Jesus Christ, he is the gospel. What's the problem with my heart? Sin. Sin. What can take away my sin? Well, not religion, not morality, not all my efforts. Sin renders me dead, not sick, but, but dead to God, I can't move in his direction. I can move towards religion. I can move towards reality. But it, it doesn't get away the stain of sin. But Jesus, the second person of the one triune God, leaves the glory of heaven, comes to this planet. He takes a human body and a human nature just like yours and mine, except there's no sin in his human nature. He doesn't stop being God. Who is Jesus? He's one person, two natures, fully God, fully man. He's not a mixture of the two. He's not a blend. He's not a half and a half. Then he'd be neither one nor the other, but he really is a man and he really is fully God. Why has he come? Come to take away my sin. John the Baptist is going to point him and say, Oh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What has he done for me? He's done that which religion cannot do and morality cannot do. He's lived a perfect life and he's done it on your behalf. You can't do it. He does it for you. He's here to be your representative. And he lived a perfect life for you. And then at the end of his life, as it was written, so it happened according to God's plan before there ever was a universe counseled in eternity past, prophesied in the Old Testament, put into effect there in the Gospels and around about 26, 27, 28 BC, AD, he, he dies on a Roman cross and what's happening there? He's paying the price of sin. All my iniquity on him was laid in my place condemned he stood. God the Father, here's the Trinity at work, pours out on his own Son the wrath and the hell that I 
deserve. And he dies paying the price for my sin. He gives his life as a ransom for many. And I've heard this said by many people who become Christians. It happened to me as it happened to you. I believed at that moment Jesus didn't just die for sins, but he died for my sin. Becomes real, becomes personal, whatever age you might be here this morning. And oh, under the preaching of the gospel, here it is, here's the prophecy. Every mountain, every obstacle is removed, every valley is filled in, every mountain is brought low. All the crooked places are made straight, the rough places are made smooth. Think of someone like Nebuchadnezzar, his pride and his arrogance, God brings him low. He thinks he's a cow for seven years, he eats grass. God brings him low until... He acknowledges that God is Lord over all. Take the one who's very humbled in the temple. There's the Pharisee up front. Oh God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I fast, I pray. I'm not like this tax collector. And at the back is one very humble. Just anguish for his sinner. He knows he's a sinner. Can't even look up and he stands at the back. And hears his cry, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, God. And Jesus says, I tell you, he's the one that went home justified. That valley was lifted up, the mountain brought down, the crooked places made straight. Can you think of anybody? Go and read about him this afternoon. That wicked king, Manasseh. He even went to the awful depths of offering his own children as human sacrifices to false gods. What depravity! Oh, there was grace for him. His crooked ways were made smooth. And what about the rough ways? Oh, the Philippian jailer. What a rough, I mean, to have the job of being a jailer in Philippi under Roman command and in charge of the in a dungeon, make sure you keep these men in the stocks, and there's Paul and Silas, and in the and he put them there, in the dungeon, in the stocks, and the smell, and the stench, and the rats, and the darkness, and no mercy. What a rough man! And then at midnight, and here's a challenge. What made him think, Christian witness? If Paul and Silas had been in the dungeon saying, Rah! What's the point of serving God? You know, I, I hear Christians saying that. I, you know, I, we can go through times like that. There's no light in that. God, get, get us out of here. What are we doing here? I've served you faithfully. What, well, why is this happening to, to me? Silas, I'm so sorry. I uh, should have brought Barnabas. And, oh, but you've ended up with this. And I'm so sorry. What, what witness is that? But what were they doing? Lashed, smelly, dark. They're singing hymns. They're praising God and the jailers listening. And the earthquake. Chains fall off. And that rough man falls down on his knees. Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, the rough ways were made smooth. Listen, my friends, we're coming to a conclusion. Never despair of anyone's salvation. Don't despair of your own this morning. 
Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all been done for you. Don't despair of a husband, a wife, a child, a mum, a dad, a grandparent, a neighbour, the boss at work. There's none outside the reach. This highway has been constructed. And all it needs is that work of the Holy Spirit. So we battle on in prayer. There's another point I wanted to make this morning. But that's enough for now. I'll catch up with it next time we look at the Word of God together. So those two brief points then. The certainty of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this brief time in your Word. We thank you for the certainty of your Word. We can build our lives and stand on your promises. Help us to do that. We thank you, worst of all, for the power of the Word of God and pray for any here, still outside the kingdom, that, Lord, they would, by your mercy, trust in you this morning and know the wonder of sins forgiven. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, in our closing hymn, just looking what it is, oh, there we are. Lead, Lord Jesus, my frail spirit. Yeah, this is about the return of Jesus Christ. And I'd chosen it because that really is my final point. But we'll look at it next time. But it's a wonderful, wonderful hymn. Thinking about the certainty of God's word, the one promise still to be fulfilled is his return. My friends, it will happen. Are you ready for that day? Lead, Lord Jesus, my frail spirit.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.